Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. As usual today, we have a live audience from the Upgrade Collective. Go to ourupgradecollective.com if you'd like to be in my mentorship and membership group where you get access to authors and speakers directly to ask questions at the end of the show. Today is a returning podcast guest and a friend and a major investor in longevity and anti-aging, and now a new author of a very, uh, a very cool book about aging. It is called, believe it or not, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. Uh, that's kind of funny because Sergey Young is our guest, so he named the book after himself, which is the world's biggest dad joke. Sergey, was that your intent when you named your book? <laughs> yes, a little bit. <laughs> All right. The truth comes out. <laughs> well, welcome back. And we are airing this on the date that your new book uh, comes out and actually hits the shelves. I have the advanced reviewers copy. And in pre-sales, though, you're kind of killing it right now. How's the book doing before it's even out? Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's kind of interesting. We already done, we, we are number one new release on Amazon in three categories, like preventive medicine, aging and longevity and we're even competing between number one and number two bestseller even before book is sold with some of the existing books in preventive medicine so i'm very happy like i mean you know it's better than anyone you know every book is like a baby and uh this is my first yep. baby book and uh i'm very excited that it's uh getting well and uh, it, obviously, it comes down to support that I receive from you and, and a lot of people in, in our field. Well, I mean, that, let's, let's see. Your foreword is by Peter, Di by, uh, Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil. Um, so kind of some big names. And there's some quotes on the back from uh, like Tony Robbins and uh, some, other, some other big names. One, one relatively small guy on there in the back is Dave Asprey guy. Uh, but basically, guys, I, I've endorsed the book uh, and um, so have many other leaders in the field um, because Sergey spent years connecting with the world's anti-aging research leaders. That's how we met years ago. And he believes that we can live to 200 years old and beyond, that it's inevitable, not just possible. And that makes me very angry because my number is 180 and here he is. I'm going to do 20 years more than you. And so... Sergey, I mean, was was this an intentional slide? Yeah, well, I think what we what we see in our field is is this uh, certain inflation of of life expectancy and lifespan uh, targets. So I know one guy from China; he wants to live to three hundred years. I, I think it's just kind of typical uh, Chinese stuff, you know, better, bigger, longer, uh, etc. But yeah, otherwise, I, I do think it's obviously well beyond the sound barrier of 122 years, the maximum yeah. lifespan that we had on Earth, uh, for the record. And all of the technologies and, and scientific breakthroughs that we're expecting in the next 10, 15 years within the near horizon of longevity will give us an opportunity to break the sound barrier and live beyond 122 years, well, well up to 150 or even 200 years. Well, I... I agree with you 100%. And it's funny because our mutual friend, uh, Aubrey de Grey, uh, who's been on the show, uh, he's like, oh, 10,000 years. And like, no one ever approaches <laughs> that because no one can grow a beard like Aubrey. So <laughs> we, we just know that he can be like the Merlin of anti-aging. So I, yeah. I'm good with, I just come close to that. It, it's okay. <laughs> now, 
you're uniquely credible because you run the Longevity Vision Fund. So you're putting $100 million to work accelerating life extension technology and making it affordable for all of us, which is a big theme in your book, big theme in my aging book as well. Like, hey, it starts with the crazy people willing to spend more money, like like enough money to go to space. Now I'm going to spend that on hacking myself. But that's what enables it to be much more affordable a few years later. So it kind of, it, it just evolves that way like phones did. And you've also managed a $2 billion private fund. Uh, you and I are, are in the longevity or in the XPRIZE uh, um, donor thing where we help to select and create XPRIZES. You did the longevity XPRIZE. Uh, I did the carbon capture one that Elon Musk ended up funding, which was pretty cool. So like we, we care, but you've been in this for a long time, which is why I want to dig in on your take on the science and the technology so that, that our listeners and our upgrade collective members can ask questions and just learn how real is it and what are they going to have to do? And that, that's the scary thing. I don't know. Should I go plant-based? Should I fast? You know, should I, you know, inject stem cells or should I do what, um, you know, some of the, like Craig Venter says, oh, let's have pizza and beer while we wait for more data. <laughs> <laughs> like I, there, there's a lot of options here. Yeah. So um, well, let me start with you. You mentioned it's possible to live to 200 years. Have you staked a number for yourself? Uh, well, yes, I do. So my plan is to live to 200 years. Okay, it is 200. Because, okay. Yeah, 200. So partly because I'm a typical placebo guy. If I kind of believe in something and it's called psychological aspects of uh, aging, then I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And as insecure overachiever, I do everything to achieve this number. Uh, unfortunately, you know, all of the technology that we have today is it, it, what we've been doing so far. We, we were just avoiding early death on earth. We were fighting cancer, heart disease, diabetes. We're trying to find neurogenerative diseases, but it was enough just to move like a statistical average of the lifespan. And we, I mean, we've done a lot. It's up from 35, 40 years, 100 years ago to 75, 80 years of average lifespan today. But we never actually you know, crossed this, uh, this border, this barrier of 122 years of maximum lifespan. And this is where technologies that we're expecting to be available to us in 10, 15 years from now, uh, like gene editing and gene therapy, uh, organ regeneration, uh, longevity in the pill, like we're going to see a new class of drugs uh, which are going to tackle and fight the aging at its core rather than go disease by disease. So it's going to be like super helpful for us, you know, finally to expand the maximum lifespan and, you know, have an ability to live to 150. And then, and so this is near horizon of longevity, but to enjoy that in 10, 15 years from now, you need to stay on longevity bridge as, as our mutual friend Ray Kurzweil say. So you just need to be, to keep your body and, and your mind in a state which is worth expanding its resource. And then it comes down to far horizon of longevity, which is going to be available to us in 25 to 50 years. But that's, it's gonna, we're going to be redefining humans by this time. Uh, we're going to be you know, heavily influencing our DNA. We're going to stop or even reverse aging processes in our body, influencing you know, all 3,000 longevity genes that we already know in our DNA, and it's going to be a world of human avatars, human brain, AI integration, uh, and we're going to talk about concept called Internet of Bodies, similar to Internet of Things. We're all going to be full of sensors 
I'm full of sensors today. You probably as well. But, you know, if people around the earth, uh, you know, all going to be interconnected to this distributed, you know, artificial intelligence run system, which is going to be responsible for our health. So that's, that's like, you know, three things, three steps that we need to take to enjoy 200 years of healthy and happy life. Okay. You dropped one really important piece of advice that I think we glossed over. And the first actionable thing from this, and I'm going to share what I do for it. This is a piece of paper. It says 28% on it. And it sits right here under my camera. What's 28%? Well, this year I'm having my 28% birthday. Because I don't think in years. That's minimum expected lifespan. I love it. And what Sergey just told you, there is a placebo effect. In fact, it's as powerful as a lot of pharmaceuticals within five or 10% of them. So if you don't tell every, and by the way, placebos work better if you tell everyone about them. Like literally, oh yeah, I'm doing this. Even if they crap over it, it doesn't matter. So you need to pick a number. This is the minimum acceptable thing. And you need to tell yourself, I am not old. I am actually this percent of that. And the cells in your body, I believe, will listen. That's part of how placebo works. The really stupid, really fast systems in the body that pick that stuff up. So you actually, uh, you actually really do need to, to to pick a number and make that your reality. And that's a part of it. And Sergey does it. I do it. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the other leaders in anti aging are like, "This is my number, and I'm sticking to it." And if you tell me I'm wrong, it's because you're dumb. And we go on. Am I right? I love it. Look, when I started to to do my motto every morning and in every evening, which is I'm going to be living to 200 years in a body of 25 years old man, uh, my life has changed. Exactly. Like every, imagine every morning I wake up and like three fourths of my life is ahead of me. Yeah. I'm full of dreams. I'm full of energy. I'm I'm so young in in kind of lifespan terms. Uh and, and I like it. My body responds to that. It it your body will. In fact, there's a very old Russian, you'd like it, a meditation technique where you you look at pictures of yourself, you know, when you're 12 and then 11 and then you do it every night 10, until you're like a baby and just tell everybody, this is me. This is me. This is me. And it, who can explain all the mechanisms there? Uh, but whatever it is, I think it's important that you set your expectations that way. But the rest of what you talked about sounded like you've been watching Altered Carbon a little bit too much. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, is uh, we kind of thinking that to solve the aging problem, it's going to be one silver bullet. But uh, the human body and and human biology is probably one of the most complex things I've ever seen in my life. So I'm still learning how it works. So it, it's just very likely that it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be a combination of the things, whatever horizon you take, like what you need to do today or what you're going to be doing in 10, 15 years from now or 25 years from now. It's uh, it's always going to be a combination of things, both on, on, a, on a physical side and then psychological side as well. Okay. I 100% agree that to live way past the built-in expiration date that we have today, um, it's going to require a little bit of editing of biological processes, right? And I see zero ethical problems with doing that as long as you're not changing the germline, right? So if I do it to my body after I've had kids, it's my body, my choice. 
if I do it in a way that's going to pass it on to another generation that could spread around the planet, we might have some issues there. All right, so back to altered carbon and, and all of this. I come from the computer security industry. I was a computer hacker. Um, you are familiar with the, the technical capabilities of certain governments uh, for hacking who shall not be named, but are pretty much all global governments. Uh, I am not naming anyone in particular other than Russia, China, the U.S., and uh, North Korea, and Israel as probably the most effective hackers. If I forgot your country, hackers, I apologize. I'm sure there's good hackers in other countries, too. Please don't DDoS me. But um, here's the thing. If you have implantable stuff, guys like I used to be are going to get in there, and we're going to put banner ads in front of your eyes that you can't take out. By the way, I didn't make that up. That's a Bruce Sterling and a Neil Stevenson novel from the mid-90s in the cyberpunk genre. But seriously, you want to implant all this stuff? Do you trust those guys any more than you trust, I don't know, big pharma companies to not lie? Um, look, I, I, I'm for experimenting. And oh, me too. Therefore, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. But like, do you want to do experiment uh, you know, with the whole global population? Probably no, but with you know a few of the people like us who are like you know super positive and uh, less risk averse like us, yeah, we should do it. Yeah, if it's open source, I'm I'm down for it. I just don't want code running that I cannot see and control because there's I mean, there's great evil that can happen from that, especially when you have an algorithm that you didn't get to tune that decides what you see and it's in your eyes and you have augmented reality built in. That's I mean that's pretty pretty scary territory. We're going to get there. Bad things are going to happen, I promise you. And really, a lot more good things will happen as well. That's kind of how tech always works, right? Yeah, I think we've made this trade-off already. We kind of traded this whole expectation of data privacy with um, with how helpful our smartphones are. Uh, so in a way, the same thing will happen with, you know, internet of body and, and outsourcing a lot of decisions and a lot of monitoring to artificial intelligence. And, and I don't think it's going to be human intelligence contradicting AI. Uh, we're going to be working in combination uh, and it, it's going to be very complementary either uh, or uh, so it's not going to be like, you know, one fighting with another. Yeah, it'll it'll all come together uh, eventually, and there'll be little camps like we have today. Are, are you Apple versus Microsoft and things like that? All right, back to bad stuff might happen, but you'd be willing to do it. All right, what about Neuralink? Would would you do a Neuralink if if Elon called you tomorrow and said, Sergey, I've got a spare one? Um, well, every time I'm scared about the new technology, I'm always thinking about. Uh, the cohort of people which actually do need this technology. And I don't know if you watched this movie called The Father with Anthony Hopkins. And it's uh, it's pretty recent movie. So the whole movie done through the eyes of, of someone who suffers from dementia. And if you think about these people, so for them, integrating their brain, their human intelligence uh, with artificial intelligence, is like the only way to sustain the quality of life in the last five to 10 years of their lifespan. So when I, so every time I'm scared by technology, I'm just trying to think about like, what is the best use of this today? Like even gene therapy, when it was invented and gene editing, like CRISPR was invented uh, a couple of decades uh, ago, 
was available to some of the people with um, rare genetic diseases. They had nothing to lose. For, so for them, it was like perfect solution because there were no other solutions. So I do think if you think about Neuralink, um, it, um, it's, uh, it's going to start with, um, with uh, you know, this particular core, right, with, which really requires help in, in, in integration with artificial intelligence. So then we'll have an opportunity to test it and then roll it out. So we at Longevity Vision Fund, we've been struggling to, to, to find, like, what are we supporting? It, it, should it be, like, invasive integration or non-invasive? And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of non-invasive way of doing that. But this is not the first and, not, and probably not the last time when uh, Elon Musk was right and I was wrong. So I'm not going to argue with Elon and uh, who knows, probably, you know, the invasive way, like similar to what they do in Neuralink. And, and what I've heard, they're going to be starting human trials uh, pretty soon in, in, in human terms. Uh, might work uh, better. Again, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for this in, in combination of excitement and fear. But in the end of the day, it's a, it's a viable piece of technology. And I can, uh, you know, see a lot of people on Earth uh, uh, which do need that. For someone who's nearing end of life, I'm like, you should experiment like crazy. Cause what are you going to do? Die. You have a sacred right <laughs> to do what you want then and share what you learn. Even if you die a couple of years earlier or maybe a couple of years later, that's totally the time. Right? Uh, so I'm with you there. on not betting against Elon Although I will say, I believe there are a lot of EMF risks that are ignored in all the implant industry that affects mitochondria, which are very dense in the brain. And having run a lab testing company that looked at rejection of implant materials that is not mediated by antibodies, I think the problem might be different than what he thinks it is. I'm not eager to have any implants including breast implants. I mean, look how many people are getting those taken out. I thought about it, but I just, it wasn't the right look for me, but you know what I mean? Like any implant material can be a problem. So, um, I'm, I'm going to probably hold off on that because I think by the time we get really good there for non-sick people, there's so much data coming off the brain. We can pick up without implants that we can probably do the same thing. Um, or at least some of that. And, uh, besides what would happen if you didn't pay your Neuralink bill? <laughs> I can imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's like your Tesla drives slow and drives into a tree. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> One of the myths that you have in the book that I love you busting is that longevity is dangerous and selfish. Why is longevity not dangerous and selfish? Well, I think the, the mental model of aging that we have today in our minds uh, um, uh, is pretty outdated. Uh, so like when you think about longevity, uh, we are assuming that um, we're all going to add last five, 10 years of our life when you are in the most fragile state, when you require a lot of support. And like every technology that I know and that we invest in um, is working on inserting 10, 20, 25 years right in the middle of your life, just extendingly productive uh, part of it. So that's one. Second, I also think we have a wrong uh, role models here. Like uh, we're always looking in centenarians, people who already live 
hundred plus years on this planet. And uh, we we just trying to learn from them. I, I actually think, and, and there's a lot of studies supporting that, um, they just been lucky in the genetic lottery. And that's why yeah, it's obviously it's a combination of environmental lifestyle changes predetermined by the environment where they live in. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I think it was near Barzillac that just done study on centenarians. And like you know, 70% of, uh, of their secret is, um, is genetic luck. So therefore, like the, the whole model of longevity that we have is uh, based on the wrong uh, uh, assumptions. And uh, we are, uh, well, pretty social species. And, and like whatever we and wherever we invest in for longevity vision fund uh, is making uh, amazing changes and transformation of current healthcare procedures and interventions and solving problems like efficiency gains that we get from investing into early cancer diagnostic or in uh, affordable ultrasound devices is like the improvement is 10 to 20, not percent, but times. So therefore it's, we're going to democratize this whole access to the healthcare. It's not going to be, I'm not interested in building something for uh, like a billionaires with people who can pay millions of dollars to live longer. Uh, I'm actually interested in in bringing the uh, uh, scientific discoveries and technological breakthroughs to uh, to almost like a guarantee to everyone access to the most efficient and, and technology based uh, version of healthcare. So this is well, that's that's going to happen. It it is going to happen, and it's it's a similar thing to what I'm doing with with Forty Years of Zen. It, it's a five-day intensive $15,000 program with neuroscientists hovering over you doing stuff to help you change your brain. Okay. Probably a little expensive and not that scalable. And there's an executive chef there too, because you have to eat the right stuff. When we get enough data and we're done, it'll be available in high schools without the chef. <laughs> right. And that's the path for all of these technologies, as far as I can tell, where you make it as cheap as you can. Right. And you make it so that you can show it's possible and you learn how to do it. And every year it gets cheaper, just like processors, just like phones, just like cars, just like everything. Yeah. yeah. Like even, even like sequencing human genome, I think it took us like 13 years, uh, 30 years ago and $3 billion. They even thought they would stop the experiment and the project uh, after the first two years when they managed to decode like a 1% or 2% of um, – human genome, because they thought they're going to be doing this for like 100 years. And then it's all democratization and exponential increase in the computing power and processing power uh, arrived. And uh, here we are right now, I think sequencing human genome. I just had my uh, genetic review with uh, Human Longevity Center in, in San Diego yesterday. Um, well, it's it's probably a few hours and a few hundred dollars and that's it. And you can even buy like a um, toolkit for your kids to amend the DNA of bacteria and it's $170 toy. Well, this is where we are. And, and, and we can also talk like gene therapy, uh, Moderna, AstraZeneca, the many COVID vaccines are the outcome of gene therapy. We just don't realize that we all participating in a global and hopefully positive. I do think it's positive experiment of, um, using gene therapy on, on mass population. Uh, so this is happening uh, and changing every year, every decade. 
Uh, it is changing for sure. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, if you were me and you might you know, dye the hair of your friend's cat, but now my, my kids are making their friend's cats glow in the dark actually through genetic engineering. It's just like a prank you do. I mean, it's totally crazy. He's trying to figure out whether I'm pulling his leg, but he's totally got a poker face. <laughs> totally, totally didn't do anything there. He's, he's like, is he, is he telling me the truth? All right. Yeah, I, I could tell you're like, Dave, either you're nuts or you're like, I don't want to tell you you're stupid. I was trying to read you, but you were flat. They're like, I don't want to play poker against you. So many crazy things that, I um, mean, you just tend not to be surprised by everything which is happening. Like, we, just, we invested in this company called like Genesis. They, they're based in Pittsburgh. And they use uh, our lymph nodes to regrow organs. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, well, this is amazing. Like today, liver transportation is a very expensive procedure. As far as I know, it's six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. People wait for six, nine, twelve months for your liver donor, and some people die just uh, in the process of waiting. So what they do in like Genesis, they take donor liver, they split it in fifty to seventy-five pieces, and they use very simple laparoscopic operation to put it in your lymph node. It's actually here. And uh, in the course of three to six months, uh, with a little support, um, uh, the new liver is just regrown in your body. And it supports the you know the function of your liver, which is not working properly today. Uh, well, that's amazing. And they've done it with pigs, uh, dogs, uh, primates, uh, obviously mouse. And, um, and uh, this year, they're starting human trials. Uh, this is amazing. So you tend just not to be surprised by like like ev- everything which is happening in in, uh, in this space. It, it's totally one of those things that could be real because they have made glow in the dark cats, but you can't do it to an existing cat, as far as I understand. Maybe you can make part of it glow, but also it's not. It's kind of mean to do that to your friend's cats. You, you make another reference in here, and it's a TV show that needs remaking, uh, The Six Million Dollar Man, uh, which I watched as a, as a teenager. You've got a part of, of your book. You have a, a Six Million Dollar You. So it's really making the case that part of this is going to be some pretty aggressive upgrades. What's your timeline on that? Is this a 10-year, 20, 30-year? When is this really going to become possible, and when is it going to become common? Okay, so I think it's going to be possible in 10, 20 years from now. But my biggest concern is is actually ethics and regulation. Like in 10, 20 years time, the biggest obstacles is not going to be in science and, and they're not going to be in, uh, in on the technology side. It's all, it, it, it all will come down to human ethics and, and ability and desire to our society to accept that. And, and this is the biggest problem because we are... We never started the conversation. So how morality of immortality should look like. And, and like if you ask people in, in US and UK, and I have these numbers, 65 to 80% of people, when they offer to extend their lifespan, they say no. And well, this is counterintuitive for you and me and, and our audience, right? I was really shocked when I first um, heard that. But um, so what is happening? And I just did a TEDx talk on that. We've created the science and technology to extend our lives, but we haven't created lives that we want to extend. And that's why, you know, we're living in a world of, you know, physical health problem, mental health problem. And people are trying to um, to search for a meaning of their life, like the purpose of their life. And um Therefore, there's just not a lot of people who have you know, enough plans and, and enough ambitions 
and understanding like what they they're gonna do with this extra years and this is all multiplied by you know myths that we just discussed that we all think that we're just gonna be like older for longer but not we, that we're not going to be growing young, so that's 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 the part of the problem. And that's why the whole ethics of the today's and future world um, is uh, uh, important as well. And uh, this is we need to have a, like a global conversation on uh, this whole thing. So how are we going to sort out um, inequality gap? Like my favorite ones, uh, actually two. One, all these social contracts, the constructs that we have today for our society. Uh, has been developed uh, for the average lifespan of 35 to 40 years. Well, um, think about career. Uh, think about marriage. Uh, like two-thirds of the marriages go through divorce in the first five to seven years after the beginning in, in, in the developed world. Or um, what if I outlive my finances? Um, uh, well, this whole concept of retirement, when it's like binary, when you either work full-time or you retire full time, and if you if you listen to Dan Butner, um, the author of the Blue Zones um, book, uh, he says like two most dangerous years of your life is the, is the date of your birth and the date of retirement. We, we we need to be less binary about you know all these uh, uh, social contracts. But like my my favorite one, and I don't know the answer to that, uh, is. Um, when you talk about radical life extension, or um, some people talk about immortality, I'm not a big fan of immortality because I do think life uh, should have an uh, end to be meaningful. But plus, it, it's dumb. The universe will collapse in on itself. We're all going to die. Yeah, <laughs> like, I agree. Immortality is a false promise unless we prove something about the nature of the universe that's different than we have today. In, in, in isolation, but you don't live in isolation. You're going to be exposed to external shocks anyway. So but what I'm saying, so this whole life extension paradigm going to be based on you making decision every five to 10 years to extend your life or not. And in the current society, it's called suicide. It's called playing God. And I, I, I don't even know if I will have a bravery once every five to 10 years to make this decision. Well, it'd be interesting if that little survey you talked about earlier that I kind of find offensive where 65% of people say I wouldn't choose to extend my life. Well, what if it came with a free cyanide pill? <laughs> well, seriously, it, if you don't want to extend your life, why are you here and you don't have to be here, right? And I'm not advocating for suicide and you wouldn't want to do that with people who have mental illness or depression or at risk and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, <laughs> like, why are you putting one foot in front of the other if you can't say, I want to be here? And I, it does not compute for me. I don't understand. I guess it's fear of being weak. Is They see aging as weakness, which it isn't. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to change the whole paradigm of aging because everything we work on and we invest in is, is about uh, influencing health, health span, adding more healthy years to our life rather than just, you know, artificially extending like last five to 10 years. I was interested when I read your science and technology of, of growing young, I had identified seven primary causes of aging in my aging book, but you've got 10, uh, which was interesting. Uh, so can you walk through the 10? Uh, and I'm going to ask you to go in on a couple of those, but just kind of hit what they are. These are the big things. We've got to stop these if you want to live forever. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? 
Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Yeah. So, I mean, these, when, when you talk about nine hallmarks of aging and, um, um, well, that's, that's the concept which is known to us starting from, uh, 2013, I think like, you know, you and Aubrey the Grey, uh, speaks about the same stuff, but like you group them in seven and within this hallmark, there's hallmarks, there's just a, lo- a lot of disagreements. Some of the people, I think there's some of them like a primary sources and some of them like just the outcome of this. So in the end of the day, and it and you know it better than I, because um, I'm an investor, I'm not a biologist. Uh, it goes you know from our genetic uh, setup, like you know genomic instability, to telomeres, to epigenetics, to um, and uh, like deregulated uh, nutrient sensing. Um, what else? Um, stem cells exhaustion. Yeah. And, uh, there's so many things that, um, we kind of think, uh, we know about the, uh, what, what drives aging and what do we need to fight? But I, I do think we, we, it's not going to be like one hallmark that, uh, we need to sort out. It's just going to be like combination of the things that we need to, to uh, address, but like my favorite one is still a uh, genetic one, because I do think if we will be able to um, to amend our DNA and, and influence our longevity genes, so well, this is like, it's almost like the only fundamental way to redefine humans. And uh, that's why I'm very optimistic about the, the scientific and technological side of that. Uh, but you know, obviously, ethics and, and regulation uh, is is a huge obstacle. Similar to, I, I think, what is happening in stem cells. Well, that, that's not a problem. You just have to go to one of the many countries without ethics. I didn't name any of them, so that was okay, right? It's going to happen, is what I'm saying. Like it, it is just going to happen, <laughs> and so we need to know about it because uh, it's it's inevitable because the technology exists. Someone will do it somewhere, and it'll probably be sponsored by a government. I will bet you. Yeah, I agree. But like, you know, my mission is to change as many lives as possible. So, you know, obviously, like you and I can do that. But like, what about people next door? And 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 if I'm going to be doing my second book, it's going to be a book on on longevity gaps. You know, some of the zip codes which are like close in US has a lifespan difference of 15 years. In London, some of the you know, two uh, parts of the of London um, close to each other have um, longevity and, and and lifespan gap of eighteen years. Like why we have this on Earth, and no one looks at the 
you know, different uh, dimensions of uh, longevity, even like difference between men and women in, uh, in lifespan. Um, like half of the medicine is like white males are doing research and trials on the other white males and assume it works for everyone. Uh, it will, uh, it'll happen. The number of studies done that recognize the difference between men and women in the last 10 years is higher than it's ever been. And we're starting to notice, oh, that's funny. There's differences in genetics and differences in gender that make a big difference uh, when you're doing studies. So you have to do that. Uh, one of the things that, that you talked about, and we're going to get in a minute into sort of what are we, what's actionable, what can we do right now? But one of the things you talked about that I didn't cover in as much detail, actually really in the same way you do uh, in my look at it. And, and people in the Upgrade Collective, longtime listeners have, have heard my list of seven. They are already taking action on some of them. But you talk about deregulated nutrient sensing as a major part of aging. So what is that one specifically and what do we do about it? Yeah, look, uh, it, I think it really comes down to our inability to... Um, uh, to accept and, and use the nutrients inside our body. So this is very much related to microbiome and the fact that like when we think about ourselves as a one integrated body, we're actually full of bacteria and, and different species which are helping us with, um, uh, with uh, you know, absorbing nutrients and uh, accepting the food and supporting microbiome. So that's that's basically one of the problems. It's one of those things where if your cells aren't sensing nutrients, they aren't sensing amino acids or other things like that, it feels like fasting, probably longer fasting versus shorter fasting is really going to help. And we know it helps with things like dopamine and insulin, and it likely would. Those aren't nutrients. Those are neurotransmitters, um, but still are neurotransmitters or hormones. Um, so I'm pretty sure that we're, uh, we're going to, end up doing more of that or mimicking that because people still like to be able to eat, uh, which is one thing. Uh, what are the top three most affordable anti-aging things that listeners could do today to help them live until they can live forever? When I have 30 seconds, you know, I push everyone to do their annual checkup, uh, medical screening. Because like, yeah, if you going to be able to catch cancer at early stage, the recovery rates for some of the cancer types today is from 93 to 100%. Like 20 years ago, uh, cancer was case of that. And people were like delaying their day of cancer screening. Right now, uh, if this is early stage and, and with the current advancements in technology, you'll be able to catch cancer at really early stage. Um, your chances to recover is, uh, you know, are almost hundred percent. And, and what is more important, uh, the quality of your life, um, uh, and, and your health going to be sustained. So, um, think about, um, you just going like what I say, and my wife disagrees with me, like one of the most important, uh, days of your life every year is the date of your, uh, medical checkup. And I, so I do it every year, like this year it was June 8th. And um, um, even this year to identify colon cancer, you don't need to do colonoscopy anymore. So it's a combination of full body MRI in, in combination with Cologuard or any other kind of liquid biopsy uh, test, which is now in development um, 
by the companies like Freenom. We invested in, in Freenom and they, they started with colon cancer. Well, this is super helpful. And, and even if you see like you think the same MRI machine right now, your scans are done and, and revisited by artificial intelligence first and then human radiologist and, and combination of human and, and artificial intelligence um, uh, is extremely effective. So uh, it can detect early stage cancer. And, and I think it was example of breast cancer in like 98% of cases, while human radiologists alone working under time pressure, and they always do, unfortunately, uh, is like 38% effective, specifically for early stage cancer. I, I think we will, we'll see the different numbers there. So thing number one, uh, I think is, um, is just understanding the value of uh, your medical checkup, understanding how many changes in, in uh, technology and the science that we can use now and, uh, well, that's why by doing this, we can enjoy more years uh, on Earth. Uh, so that's one. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit on you on that one. At least in the U.S., okay, you go in for your annual medical checkup. They hit you on the knee with a mallet. They take a very basic blood test that probably don't do anything. And they tell you your cholesterol is too high and give you drugs, even though the cholesterol isn't too high and you don't have inflammation, or maybe you do. Uh, but they they don't actually do any of the cool stuff you talked about. By the way, I do the same things. I've done the high-resolution MRIs. Um, I've had the liquid biopsies. In fact, probably my most successful investment right now, I don't talk a lot about being an investor, but I am, um, has is able to detect about a half a dozen types of cancer better than any other company using big data and some other stuff. And I can't say who it is or what it is, but um, that's crazy pants land because we couldn't do that five years ago. So like, like this, this is all happening right now. But what people can do is you can, when you identify this stuff, and by the, you list it, like you list the companies, you list what it is, how to do it, like, like what's happening in your book. Um, you can use your flexible spending account if you're in a position to fund that in the US. So you could say, all right, I want to get this test, right? And you can use your FSA to do that, which makes it pre-tax dollars at least. And you don't have to do all of these every year, especially when you're younger. Uh, but I will say there's really good value to doing that. And I, I love that as an answer. You're like, like get the data instead of just, you know, eating some kale. That's a bad idea. All right. What's number two on your list? My, number two for me is just using your wearable. And um, what I like about wearables, uh, it, they're becoming our personalized healthcare devices. I'm pretty sure. So right now I'm like wearing continuous glucose monitor. Like I'm, I'm using Apple Watch. I'm, I'm actually experimenting for my fifth day with Whoop, Aura um, Ring, and you can wear a Zeo patch. Um, so um, I, I do believe that um, wearables uh, is not going to be uh, activity tracker anymore. It's going to be more like a personalized healthcare devices. And you know, like you know, latest Apple Watch can do a lot of things. And I think in a few years from now, they would just add their uh, glucose monitoring uh, in the form of satellite device, uh, but still integrated data-wise data with um, what we have on us. And then um, probably like measuring our blood pressure. And I, I, and I do think, you know, with, with all of this, it's going to be more than 50% uh, of this stuff that you need to measure on a regular basis about your health. So... I think it's an opportunity for all of us to start early enough uh, 
in embracing and in using wearables and and working with the largest companies on earth who are investing and over investing in healthcare uh, to um, uh, to kind of enjoy this this level of personalization from our wearables, sharing the data and uh, has been able to catch disease and address disease at much, much uh, earlier stage. So when people ask me, like, so what's going to happen in healthcare? And, and, and this relates to your point. Like, if, if you go to the hospital next door and you ask for checkup, you, you're going to be seeing a you know, very short list of the things that they're going to do with you without necessarily helping you to identify your major risks. Um, like... I do think the change in the healthcare system will come not from the old players doing new things. This will come from new players completely disrupting the space. I do believe in 10 years from now, the largest healthcare companies on earth are going to be Google, Apple, Amazon, um, Microsoft. And I'm not necessarily like the biggest fan of, of big tech. But yeah, watch out, Apple. I think, well, that's why I'm wearing uh, Apple Watch. And I still miss my Fitbit uh, time before it was bought, bought by Google. Um, You're not using it because of the privacy issues? Uh, no, just I, I actually think that Apple has better chance, chances to make good investments and, and, and uh, build a platform in, uh, in healthcare. And uh, I, I've seen the research uh, report done by last year by Morgan Stanley that Apple can generate up to 50% of its uh, revenue by the end of this decade from, from their uh, health platform. So, and as a consumer product, uh, I, I do think Apple is a little bit better platform. It fits at least how you know, I do see the evolution of that. Uh, well, that's not the only reason. But in the end of the day, we'll have a choice. And uh uh, and I'm pretty sure that it's not going to be only like big tech. There's a number of startups who are working in this space. So like wearables transforming themselves into our personalized healthcare devices. Uh, I, I do think it's pretty important. I'm going to ask a, a personal question here um, as a, a fellow investor, although I don't have a hundred million dollar fund investing in this stuff, but I've done it. I was you know, co-founder and CTO of the first company to get heart rate from the wrist but it was too early. You know, Fitbit came in, became a multi-billion dollar company and we sold for like a hundred million to Intel. And you're like, oh, you only sold for hundred million. Well, okay. I didn't sell for two or three billion, whatever the heck. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't the unicorn big win. I tend to, to look at these things very early on and assume that they're going to happen before everyone else, because, well, um, I just assume people that the, the future is here sooner than I think it is. So how do you assess timeframes on this kind of tech? Oh, uh, look, we actually investing more in a different type of technology. So we have uh, probably two or three investments out of 16 companies that we invested in, two or three investments in, into the med tech uh, itself. So, and it's very likely to be like a uh, uh, big niche. Like, so we invested in a company called Eco Imaging and they, they build in affordable and accessible version of uh, ultrasound diagnostic device. Um, the, the market is already there. So we, when, when you look at the total addressable market, uh, it's like um, any improvement to that is, is a big thing. Or we currently invest in a company who just do like glucose monitoring. Uh, I couldn't mention their name yet. Uh, but like, well, that's a huge problem for people who suffer from diabetes and from, you know, for people like us who just want to monitor their 
uh, glucose level, you know, all the time to see how our body responds to you know, different type of foods and activities um, on that front. So in a way, um, we, I mean, we are investment funds, so we just need to be careful with our investors' money uh, as well, in addition to making an impact. So whenever we see like a huge addressable market, um, we invest there. But uh, what I must say, and, and this is the reason why we're 95% um, um, focused on, on U.S. within our portfolio. And I say it with a lot of love. U.S. has the most inefficient and expensive healthcare uh, system on earth. Like we spent 18% of our GDP uh, on healthcare. UK, I'm part of UK parliamentary group on national longevity strategy. UK spend like 8% of their GDP and have the be- and they have better uh, average lifespan number. Singapore, I just done a speaking in Singapore. They spend like 5% of GDP on their healthcare and they share in like the top two uh, places in the world ratings of health span and lifespan together with Japan. And in US, COVID, as far as I remember, Three out of five years uh, pre-COVID, pre-2020, U.S. had lifespan actually decreasing rather than increasing. So we just need to have a massive change. And like, and and I, I do think we discussed it a couple of years ago on one of the express events. Like 60% of the data transfer from one you know, medical institution to the other medical institution is happening by fax. When, it, when was the, like the last time you've seen fax machine? And, and this is still happening. So, well, that's why I'm more optimistic about, you know, big tech disrupting this whole thing rather than just trying to change the uh, current system. Sounds a little bit radical, but well, here's what I think. You know, in, investing in a place where things are too expensive is not a bad idea at all. And it, you can always trial it in a place where things are cheap and then sell it in the U.S., which is what uh, we did and what a lot of companies are doing. All right. Well, it, it's helpful. It's a, it's a tough thing to know when something's going to happen. And it matters more if you're 70, right? And we have a few Upgrade Collective members who are 70, and we have some who are in their early 20s, right? But if you're 70, like, all right, you know, the, the timeline for this, like, when should I plan to do this? Because you have a more urgent need for some radical life extension than someone who says, I just have to not get in a car accident and I'll probably be okay for the next five or 10 years. So that's the second part. And then like third is, well, I call it passive longevity. Just don't die stupid, like tobacco smoking, which is minus 10 years uh, from your life. Well, and some of the stuff that are like pretty obvious, like tobacco smoking, like, you know, alcohol drinking and, and driving using seat belts. But some of the things like just embracing driverless cars, like driverless cars will bring mortality rates from car accidents by a factor of 10 pretty soon. So that's that's an important driver uh, of uh, longevity as well. And just not taking uh, any risky choices uh, is important as well. So I, I received a letter uh, two weeks ago from a very good friend of mine uh, from California. Uh, she's a big fan of mountain hiking. And, she's, and, and, and the letter says, Sergey, I'm about to climb uh, one of the most dangerous uh, mountains on earth. And it's K2. Mortality rate so it's 25%. So like Russian roulette is like 70, sorry, one seven seventeen percent chances of dying. Just going to K2 is 25% of, of dying. So, or just riding motorcycles, you know, like 
the mortality rate from motorcycle uh, accidents is like 17 times higher than driving the car. So, and then people think, you know, look, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be safe. You're not. So that's, um, that's, um, that's important as well. So coming back to your question. So what do I eat? Um, you know, obviously there's just a lot of disagreement in the academic field, like what extends our lifespan. And I do think there's like one agreement that decreasing your calorie in, uh, intake uh, is going to extend your lifespan by three to five to seven years. And um, uh, it's easier to say than to have a discipline to like manage the, your two or three meals a day and make sure it's uh, it's low on, on the calorie front. So I'm a big fan of vegetables, right? Because you know, simply because of their very low uh, caloric intensity. And even if, if I would just have like a half of my table full of vegetables, I'm probably still going to be fine on uh, on the front uh, of um, of calories that I'm I'm taking. So that's that's one. Obviously, I'm I'm very mindful of the quality of um, my meat and fish. I don't do a lot of meat and fish, but like if this is meat, then it's you know uh, meat from the farm, and uh, you just to, just to make sure it it doesn't have antibiotics, uh, growth hormones, uh, E. coli bacteria, uh, all this uh, dangerous stuff. But I learned like uh, I think it's in U.S. like seventy percent of antibiotics is consumed by animals on the farm, right? And the fish. Uh, we need to stop that right now. That that's going to lower human lifespan. It already has. Yeah, it's it's not okay. When we when we, when we started to use antibiotics like hundred years ago, the average lifespan on Earth increased by ten years from thirty five to forty five in the course of two decades. Like, why are we trying everything to reverse this and, and the use of uh, antibiotics as well? So that's kind of one thing that I do. Um, second thing, I do fasting, and I like fasting. Because statistically, so I fast like 36 hours a week, Monday, um, Monday evening to Wednesday morning, and I feel fine. I, I can survive on water and herbal tea, and I actually love um, uh, this feeling. So... And it's pretty important, not only from just decreasing the calories that you you take, but also in terms of you know giving uh, your body the opportunity to reset and you know clean all the system and and start autophagy. Obviously, autophagy. Uh, you need to, uh, if you can, like a longer fasting, like three, four, or five days, um, uh, are better for that. But like when I fast for so long, um, my family is not. <laughs> saying I'm not the best person uh, uh, in this mode. So, you know, I'm I'm just trying to be uh, meaningful with my work commitment and my family commitment uh, as well. So that's that's basically what I do. And I do, you know, supplementation, you know, like Bulletproof okay. is uh, uh, one of my favorite brands in terms of the uh, supplements. And I, I take a lot of Which ones as well. So in Bulletproof... Um, what do I take? Well, uh, I, I, yeah, I oh, take. You're saying the so I just didn't hear you say bulletproof. Now, there, just to be clear, there's a lot of a lot of good brands. The bulletproof stuff that I formulated, if they're still making it the way I formulated, thumbs up, right? I'm not at all involved in the company, and they won't share any information with me, uh, so I have no idea what they're doing. But I'm pretty sure it's good. I still take it, so I'm with you there. But just to be really clear, like I said, you take a lot, a lot more than bulletproof makes because bulletproof only makes like ten things. Oh, sure, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. How many a day of total do you take? 
So it's uh, usually uh, like uh, somewhere around 20 different types from simple things like, you know, omega-3 uh, garlic for my heart system and for my vessels. Uh, D3, I, I, I do think we all need to have like, yeah, vitamin D supplementation as well. Some of the exotic stuff from Japan, like, so I do a lot of uh, seaweeds on rotation. Uh, so I, I have like six month rotation schedule with, for seaweeds because I, I do think it'd be useful on uh, a lot of different fronts. Uh, so I, you know, I have certain problems with my liver. So uh, milk thistle uh, is, you know, it can be pretty helpful in this regard. I do and, that too. Yeah. Uh, that that makes a lot of sense. So about 20 a day. See, relatively light for someone who wants to live as long as you do. I'm, do you do like spermidine? Do you do urolithin A? Like all the cool autophagy? There's a bunch more. Yes, I just bought spermidine. I, I, I haven't started to do it like, but I take NMN uh, for the last uh, probably year, uh, year okay. and a half. Yeah. All right. Um, there, there's an almost unlimited number. And I, I struggle with this. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. I actually don't struggle with it because struggling uses a lot of energy that I don't. I will say I have questions, but I don't suffer because of them. Uh, questions about, okay, I take a lot more than 20 supplements a day, about 150 a day, uh, depending on what the day is and what I'm doing, and they're carefully tuned for it. And you know what? It works. I, I don't have the inflammation I used to have. My brain works all the time. I'm full of energy, it, and it's been an evolved thing, but- Maybe if I did 120, it would work just fine. I just get lazy and it's just not worth the trouble saying, should I take resveratrol every other day versus today, uh, you know, versus in the morning versus at night versus with my bulletproof coffee because it's fat absorbable. I mean, you could always worry about perfection, but I don't do. Do you think we're going to get to the point at, at some point where we have good enough advice that machine learning and AI just tells us, look, just take this handful of stuff? Yeah, I, I do think so. And and just coming back to your earlier point, I'm a typical placebo man, right? So if I believe that my supplements are like kind of doing a good job for my mental and physical health, I mean, this is what I experience. And uh, in I think in some of the medical studies, like the biggest competitor to you know particular drug is actually placebo. Placebo work in so many cases that we couldn't even imagine. So that's why that's like one of the first reasons why I like supplements. I do believe that um, the problem with like a supplement sector and supplementation as well, it's just, it's just specifically when you take like a lot of things, it's just very difficult to establish relationship between the change of, uh, of the kind of level of um, how your body works and respond to some of the supplements with supplementation itself. So probably in 10 to 20 years from now, we'll be able, just by using artificial intelligence, we'll be able to find the answers. Like uh, Freenome is the company that I mentioned, which do early diagnostic of cancer. So they, they use our blood test uh, to identify your risks of the colon cancer. And um, so like the biomarkers of colon cancer was always there. But we, like 20 years ago, it was just not possible to establish this whole correlation. So they analyzed more than, I think, more than 100,000 different samples to establish correlation. And right now they, they're running um, human trials um, on colon cancer specifically. So the data is there. We're just missing, what we're missing is, is capacity of the computer uh, power and artificial intelligence to track that and establish um, 
relationship. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to be, it's not, look, it's not going to be like 100% unified, uh, like a mix of the things for everyone, but we can do it as personalized as possible for everyone. I uh, I like that. I, I know we're going to get there. I think it's going to take a very long time. There's companies working on it from a, a blood test, from a urine test. So from a stool test, our, our friends over at Viome, Naveen's working on that. And I think has done some really good work uh, from that front. But I don't know. I, I just believe I'll be taking less probably, but I'll I'll still be wanting it customized because what we're optimizing for using machine learning is people who die when they're 80 or 90. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to have average numbers for my age. I want to have nutrient numbers and performance for my 25-year-old age. And that's going to take a, a new kind of thinking, a new kind of machine learning of, of setting targets. So that that's a long-term thing that might always be hard to get because it's almost like we we build in our expectations into systems and, and that happens. Well, would you be up for a couple of questions uh, from the Upgrade Collective? Yeah, please. All right. Guys, you have some questions ready? All right. Raise your hand if you want to go, and I'll call you Call you in. Joanne's got a question. Her hand is up. Go for it, Joanne. Hi. Kind of a question uh, statement. Um, I just happened to see the Louis Schwartzberg fungi, uh, fantastic fungi movie the other night. And the Paul Stamets is the is the miracle um, guy behind these mushrooms, and they were doing some tests later on in the film with some people with um, Alzheimer's and dementia, and they used a fifth of a portion, I guess you'd call it, of, of psilocybin, and it gave these people their life back, where they were sitting in chairs all slumped over and. Um, so, and then his mother, um, Paul Stamets mother was really at stage four cancer and there was some mushroom experience going on with the company. He gave it to her and she, she came out of it. So I think both, I love the technology. I love the development of the science. And I think we have to combine both, um, nature and science and would love to hear what you think about that yeah um thanks john uh well first of all uh, can i just agree that we need to look uh, to the mother nature which already has a lot of answers to us like the, this whole the current paradigm of medicine uh, which is not relying on the ability of our body to heal itself not from all diseases, right? You still need to have professional help, but like there's so many tools that we have inside our body and mind for recovery and, and healing as well. And it's been offered by Mother Nature. So I do believe uh, this, is, uh, this is really massive. When, when you talk about mushrooms and, and psychedelics, um, we are, well, frankly speaking, I like have nothing to say because this is, this is such a uh, emerging uh, early stage industry. So we haven't built our competence on that. Like imagine we have like hundred million dollars to invest in so many different things. And so we haven't, you know, made any allocation for this new industry. It's a little bit like uh, cryptocurrency uh, five or 10 years ago. So, you know, you know, you know that you know, it's going to change the world, but like, Who's going to be 
uh, Bitcoin and what's going to be Ethereum and and what particular uh, uh, crypto coins will disappear. You don't know. It's or it's like internet back in 1998. You know, like Amazon and Google is there, uh, but like you don't know. You know who's going to be the winner. So we really at early stage. Uh, I, I do think it's very promising, but we we haven't tested it with with our money. And and usually it's like the best test when we invest in something. We do a lot of diligence and we we understand it much much better. Well, I have made an allocation there. I think Paul is the best uh, best guy in the world specifically for for that cancer stuff. Uh, so actually, last week uh, I had dinner uh, at Paul's place uh, and I made a small investment in his new pharmaceutical company that's working on neuroregeneration. Because one of the things you have to do as you age, your neurons break down, especially the lining. And I think he's got some serious patentable and patented tech to grow neurons back like a young person. So I want a young person's brain and a young person's body when I'm old. And frankly, I'll take the old person's body and the young person's brain if I have to choose. So I did that. And then someone just sent me a study today showing that a single dose of psilocybin caused rapid and persistent growth of dendritic spines in the frontal cortex. That's the thinking part of the brain. And they said it sticks around for at least a month. So I'm like, hmm, I know there's something going on here. And I also use, you know, I use the life cycle ones because there's an Australian strain of mushrooms that I can tell measurably with my wearable. It makes my sleep better, right? So that's my go-to sleep one. And so there, you know, there are pharmaceuticals, but like you said, there's, there's all kinds of stuff we don't know yet. So it is a bit of a shot in the dark, but I just go with ones either I can see they work or with the most knowledgeable people and you hope. And I also didn't put a hundred million dollars into it the way you would have. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Dave. All right. That was a great question, Joanne, and bringing the, the world of nature in because you know we've been doing this for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine and things like that. All right, Tina, you've got a question. What's up? Oh, thank you so much. This was been, has been really great, and I look forward to getting your book. Um, my question is, what do you do for exercise and what do you think uh, the role of exercise is for longevity? Okay. Uh, great question. Uh, I, I do think our view on exercise um, is pretty binary. Like for we humans, we like kind of black and white. So you either like you know, go for marathon or do Iron Man or Iron Woman, and uh, or you just you know, just staying at your home and kind of watching TV. Right, that's your exercise. I, I do think there's something in between, and I do believe like ten thousand steps a day is two thirds of the things that we need exercise-wise. So you can integrate walking into like so many activities in your life. And this is what I do. On top of that, I, uh, I'm, I I do think you actually need to have like a combination of the things. So you need to do stretching. So I do yoga stretching uh, two, times, um, uh, two times a week. Uh, then what I'm missing is cardio. Uh, I, I had particular difficult uh, COVID case uh, back in December for like 20 days and I still haven't recovered. So I, I still haven't had my cardio uh, into my life. Uh, I still find it difficult. Uh, so, but then my rule was always like 90 minutes of cardio every week. So it's either like, you know, three, um, uh, uh, three uh, like trainings, uh, 30 minutes each or two times 45 minutes each. 
And <clears throat> what I, I've never done, but I want to do is like weightlifting because what I've seen that, you know, people, uh, and it's uh, people who do like a weightlifting once a week, um, it's, um, it's, it's really good prevention for, you know, all the, uh, uh, you know, all the problems um, with your bones and cartilage uh, for the latest stage of your life. And uh, so I've seen few studies to support that. I haven't done that. So that's my, you know, pretty open answer on what I do and what I don't uh, in, in this field. So it's a beautiful answer. There's great evidence lifting something heavy for a brief period once a week does huge amounts of good in a small amount of time. And you can use tech for that. Some of the upgrade labs tech is there. And then having some cardiovascular stuff, it turns out you can get what you're looking for in about six minutes a day using an AI algorithm instead of 90 minutes. And University of Colorado Research shows it actually gives you better improvements in VO2 max than doing the longer stuff. So it's not just as good, it's better. Yeah, we're doing that at Upgrade Labs too. But I have some things I'm going to share uh, with you, knowing a lot about what you, you just mentioned with lungs not recovering. Um, addressing mast cell activation with Claritin and Pepsid over the course of months, as well as niacin, adding it to your other uh, stack that's improving your NAD levels. And then this is the thing, and I, I consulted with a, a dear friend who's one of the, the luminaries of, of anti-aging and nutrients. Um, and I, I, he's been on the show, but I don't have permission to name him, so I'm not going to. Um, I suggested a, a banned substance for the Olympic Committee called GW501516 that increases mitochondrial growth. And his results were, oh my God, I can't believe I just improved this fast. Like a week later, I feel like myself again. So basically, let's give your mitochondria a little kick in the pants, turn down mast cells at the same time, and go back to working out. This is hackable. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. All right. I hope that doesn't, uh, hope that doesn't get the show banned. Jeez. <laughs> Didn't name any particular things there, so I think I'm okay. I was just talking about bad lungs. All right. Um, always looking to, to give back, especially to people like you, Sergey, who are really doing good work in the world. I got to recommend your book, Science and Technology of Growing Young. Here, here's the deal. It's going to happen. It is happening now. If you look backwards, you don't see it. If you look forward and you have the ability to look forward, not everyone does. Sergey does. I do. Many listeners do. It's blindingly obvious that this is happening if a comment doesn't hit the planet. So start paying attention to it. And if you want a very readable brief, actually shorter than my book, book that says, here's what's happening, here's why, here's the tech, very well organized, it's Sergey's book. So check it out. And it's just worth your time. Not a heavy, long read, but full of knowledge. Sergey, thank you, my friend. I can't wait to hang out with you again, maybe at the XPRIZE or somewhere else, but it'll happen soon. Thank you, Dave. And thanks to Upgrade Collective. I'm, I'm, I'm really delighted to make it interactive today. And thanks to all of our audience. Stay healthy and happy, please. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. 
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.